Good morning, Mosaic. Good morning. Uh, thank you for being present here and welcoming others into this environment today. It's great to be starting to worship. My name is Dylan. I'll be starting my junior year at Grant High School this year, and I serve here at Mosaic on the parking sign team. This morning, I'll be reading Luke 9, 51 through 56. After I read, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll all say, thanks be to God. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to, for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dude, way to go. Can... Right there? There we go. They're waiting for that. That was a great job. Great job. There's a, yeah, it's a, it's no easy thing standing in front of a bunch of people with lights on you and, and to do that. So well done. Very, very well done. Thank you for, for leading us in scripture. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It is so good to be with you this morning. If you're in the room, it's great to be with you. If you're watching online, uh, welcome in. Thanks for logging in and being a part of this gathering at this time. If you're watching it at another time, hope you're doing well. Um, this is, uh, I'm actually here this Sunday and a couple more days in the office and then I'm off on uh, a sabbatical for a few months. And so if you didn't know that, that's, there's a little update for you. Um, but I wanted to share a, a couple things that I'm really excited about uh, right now and just kind of updates from this past week. Uh, one is, uh, as Adam mentioned, uh, triads, uh, the response to that has been just really, really deeply encouraging. Uh, and so a number of you have, have signed up. I don't remember exactly where the number is. It's somewhere in between 40, close to 50, I think, was last I heard, and uh, some of you are thinking, I don't know what that means. I've never heard of that before. And so um, if you are interested at all, please ask, uh, meet us at the table afterwards, or just sign up and show up on Thursday. But we'd love to tell you more about that. Uh, it's something I've personally spiritually benefited from. It's God's used it in my life to grow me and uh, bring me closer to him and better hear God's voice by talking with somebody else who's listening to the Holy Spirit along with me. And uh, so that's, that might sound like totally new to territory. Uh, we're believing and trusting that God's going to use it. Another thing is that uh, coming this fall, and this is part of what's uh, kind of a mixed experience about a sabbatical, um, is that I'm, I'm trusting that I'm going to go away and God's going to replenish me and refocus me and give me rest. But I, I don't get to be here with, with you all. And that's actually really hard for Abby and I to think about not being here on Sundays. Um, I, I don't, it's probably not surprising to you that I can't actually be here and rest. Um, so I'm not going to be here. But one of the things that I'm going to miss out on is that we've already got a baptism planned for uh, our Thanksgiving celebration in November. And that might seem really far down into the fall still, like a, a, I don't know what that is, seven, eight weeks away. Um, but just excited to see how God is, is moving. And that's just great, great news that we get to hear somebody's story of coming to follow Jesus. And, and then we get to celebrate baptizing them uh, in, in that gathering. So I'm just excited about that and, and going to miss that. Uh, something Abby and I started, and we, we, we try to do it around the end of summer, beginning of fall. We're a few weeks late this year, um, but we kind of started, um, kind of almost uh, accidentally started, but we started reviewing our budget, and uh, I didn't lose you, did I? Okay. 
we started reviewing our, our budget um, this past weekend and starting putting things in order. You know, there, there's this like recovery and coming out of summer mode um, and then stepping back into reality and getting those things set. And we just sang a song, a, a hymn that had the words, all I have needed, God hath provided. Um, and we were able to just kind of, as we started working through our budget going, well, it's maybe not exactly where we would like it. And there's a few things that we need to work on, but man, God's really provided for us and we're so grateful. Um, and then began immediately thinking about what that's like to be a part of a church family and the way that God has provided for our church family has just been tremendous over these last couple years in particular. Um, and so one thing I want to do is just say, thank you. Um, thank you for being a part of a church family that gives sacrificially and generously and consistently. Um, we are at about 92% of our projected giving, uh, which is good, um, not great. We've got a little bit to make up there, but as we end July, August, September, the first quarter of our fiscal year, we're at about 92%. Um, and at the same time, we've given extra in order to do uh, now and next. And if you don't know what now and next is, please find a QR code somewhere and check it out. Um, it's our effort over 2022 and 2023 uh, to raise, combined with all of our giving, all in one bucket, $2.5 million. Um, and again, we're about in the, in the early 90s percentage of, of doing that. And we've already seen great progress being able to upgrade this room uh, to be able to be online and effectively in worship here together uh, with some 15-year-old upgrades that were waiting to happen. We did that. Um, downstairs right now, the kitchen is about at the midway point. There's a big trash thing out here because that's been demoed and all that's going on. Um, and that's moving significantly forward this next week. And then this next week, we're actually redoing the floor and the lower level, getting it ready for students and kids to use and to be just a better better space. And there's already stories that we're celebrating of, of as we head into fall of how God's using that space. And it's because it'd be even better as those things happen. So as Abby and I did our budget, one of the things that we committed to, you've heard me say this before over and over again, is when we got married, we committed to giving 10% of everything that we earn uh, prior to taxes, uh, and I just want to acknowledge that that is fairly easy to do when you're not making hardly anything. But because we stayed committed to that, now that we're in these years of our life as our kids are finishing high school and getting into college, that that's been a, a pattern for us. A number about 10 years ago, we changed that to 11%, uh, and we've been able to stick to that, and we made that a little bit of an increase in that when we committed to the now and next uh, projects for these two years. Um, and so I don't, I don't know where you're at in your giving. Um, some of you are like, yeah, that's right where I'm at. Others of you are like, that sounds crazy. Um, and yet we've, we've made it. God's provided for us. And some of you have that story. Others of you are like, can you stop talking about money now? I don't like hearing anybody talk about my money. And I would just say that you're theologically off on that and try saying that, <laughs> that it all belongs to Jesus. And so, uh, um, you might be struggling with money, and that's really not his fault. And so uh, if you're a part of this church community, can I just encourage you to hold that open before him? I'm not going to ask for a specific amount from you or percentage. That is between you and Jesus. Um, but if you are following Jesus, he wants to have rule and reign over your money. And that involves you letting go of trusting him with a portion of it. Uh, and we would be glad to be helping you through that and being that the recipient of that giving that God works in and through this church uh, in this season, in this city. So there you go, a little financial update. I'm gonna pray now and we're gonna dive into those scriptures that, that Dylan just read and continue on as we are working our way through the book of Luke. 
God, you're good and you're faithful, and we've declared that in this space and this time this morning, and so we say it just again, you are faithful. We have been the recipients of your faithfulness, and we're blessed by it, and we're different by it, and you've provided for us and taken care of us. You've guided us and healed us, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that even in the here and now, right in this moment, right in this room, or wherever we're watching, right now, would you... Would you stir within us? Would you awaken our hearts in a new way? Would you heal our souls in a way that needs healing and transformation? Will you sharpen our minds this morning as we look to your words, Jesus? Would you guide us and teach us? We want to learn from you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, I, I just, it's, I don't know if it's part of my personality or where it came from. I, I love... Uh, significant moments and markers in the calendar throughout the years. And um, I'm just gonna kind of selfishly share one with you. Um, Yesterday was October 1st, uh, and 15 years ago, October 1st, 2007, was the very first day that I got to walk into the office here and be the lead pastor of Mosaic. And that day is... I'm going to tell you, when I come back, I'm going to share that story again, just because that is so fun to have you. Have you. Um, yeah, I, I, really, I, I sincerely appreciate that, and I, I still cannot get ahead of when people are going to clap, and so I didn't anticipate that, but this time I'm not crying, so there. Um, uh, no, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that I do when I look at significant dates on the calendar, like October 1st for me, is to, to trace back and to... And to to identify this significant kind of, what I would say are forks in the road, decisions that either I made or somebody else made that impacted me, that, that sent me, instead of this way, I ended up going this way. And to trace that back and to go, look at what God was at work doing. That God was actually involved in that situation and that conversation and that experience. And I ended up going this way instead of that way. And then look at what God has, has done. And there's so much to celebrate in that. And then the opposite is true, right? That, that each and every one of us have, have been at a fork in the road and we look back now and we should have made this decision and gone this way and instead we chose this way and then things didn't go so well and we experienced pain or we hurt someone else or something negative happened and we wish we could rewind it and come back and, and go this way. We can all do that in, in both directions in our life and things that we wish were different and things that we can look and, and be grateful to God that they're as good as they are and, and, and for thankful for new relationships and decisions and places that he took us and that were good for us. In just these short six verses in this really quick scene that we heard as, as Dylan read earlier, there's three of those kind of moments compacted into these six verses where Jesus went one way instead of the other and it was forming for him for his disciples, and even for us today. And so we're gonna look at those three, three times that Jesus chose this instead of this. And the first one's this. It, it says this in, in, in Luke uh, chapter nine, verse 51, which by the way, is kind of the pivot point of the whole book. And this might sound weird because there's 24 chapters and I'm sure all of you have been tracking really well that knowing there's 24 chapters and you've been checking them off as 
We go, no, do only pastors do that? Maybe not. So we were going to teach through the book of Luke. There's 24 chapters. We started in November of last year. We're now at October of this year. And we're actually at the halfway point, not exactly numerically, but as the story is told, there's a pivot from the first half of the book of Luke to the second half of the book of Luke. And one of the great things of just teaching through the book of the Bible is that I don't set the agenda. You don't set the agenda. We don't set the agenda. We're taking God's word and saying, God, you, you lead us. There's some stuff we'd love to flip through and not pay real close attention to. But when we just say, God, we're going to work through your word, he's guiding the agenda. We're at the halfway point roughly of the story and it pivots and it pivots on this verse. It says this, as the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he set out resolutely uh, to go to Jerusalem. He's in, he's in Galilee. He's in the north part of the, this, the, the nation of Israel. Jerusalem's a little bit south uh, a ways. And uh, it says the time has come for him to be taken up to heaven. Now, that, that, that kind of sounds vague and, and maybe like, what, is, what does that mean? What we've got here is we've got uh, a time, like a, like a, like a chronological, like a, a calendar time that the minutes are counting, the hours are counting. So there's, that, there's a movement of time. There's a direction geographically to Jerusalem. And then there's an, an internal, a personal kind of revealing, a personal assessment of what's going on inside him personally. So we got time moving, we got a direction that we're going geographically, and then we've got a personal experience, something that's going on inside. The, the time it says that it's moving towards something, the time's approached for him to go where? To, to heaven. Okay, well, there's a lot of chapters left before he is crucified, buried, and then resurrected, and then ascends into heaven. So a lot's happening. So it's not quite the time but the time's approaching. He's gonna go up to heaven, but he's going to a, a place. He's going to Jerusalem. And then he's also gonna be up. It says he's gonna go up into heaven. He's gonna go up onto a cross. He's gonna go up onto a cross. He's gonna go up to Jerusalem. They always talked about going up to Jerusalem. It wasn't technically the highest in elevation, but the temple was there. And the temple represented God's presence with his people. And so regardless of what mountaintop they're coming from, they always go up to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. He's going to be put up on a cross and he's gonna go up to heaven. When it says the time was approaching, it's clarity that Jesus knows his mission. Jesus knows his mission. He knows his purpose of what he is intending to do, what God had designed for him to do. Now, now listen to this. He's already told his disciples a number of times. He's already said, I'm here. I've come to, um, to suffer. Which is kind of fascinating if you think about it. Like these guys are following a guy who says, I'm, I'm going to suffer. So if, if you're going to be in somebody's new club, if you found like a rabbi, a teacher, somebody you want to follow, and they're like, here, this is what I'm all about. I'm all about suffering. That's what I've got in my strategic plan. In the future, I'm going to suffer. He's telling them that a number of times, but what he's demonstrating is very different, right? He teaches and people listen. He touches people and they can see, they can walk, the demons leave them. He's demonstrating this power on a regular basis, but what he's saying to them privately is, I'm going to suffer. Jesus has a clarity of what his life is intended for and what is going to happen. Jesus knows that he's gonna go through this brutal, like violently creative form of execution 
called crucifixion. Jesus knows that. And so when it says that the time had approached for him to go up to heaven, and so he turns and resolutely set out for Jerusalem, Jesus has this clarity of his mission. And it's going to be culminated at the cross. But it's not just about the form of execution. What it's about is, is the, the reason that he's doing that is for people who don't know him. It is for people who are far from God. It is for the lost and the broken and the needy and the poor and the religious and the proud and the rich. It is for everyone that his life is for everyone. He is for everyone that he's ever seen. He loves them and he's willing to suffer and sacrifice for them. The first decision that Jesus makes is to resolutely, instead of going this way, turn and go to what he was called to do, what he was sent to do by his father. And he decides, even though it is difficult, I'm going to choose this path because God, that's what you've called me to. Jesus resolutely set out which means he would not be deterred. He would not be thrown off of the path. He, he wouldn't be distracted from it. I, uh, this is super odd, but I, I just have to get it out of my brain because it's in there. But when I read this and then you, you, you look up like what does resolutely mean? It you know, means to, to be resolute and something means to be firm, to be, to be uh, strong, to be unchanging, to be um, resistant to other forces that are coming into it. And Jesus says that's the truth. And what I have in this mind is like when I redid my bathroom uh, about nine years ago, um, we gutted it. We bought a, a home when we moved here that was you know, built in 1971. So uh, of course in our bathroom that had not been touched, it was avocado trim, everything, the sink, the toilet, the tile, and the shower, all was avocado green. Uh, and then Abby and I are both six feet tall, and the shower was about 5'11", and, uh, and you know, we didn't fit both in there together very well, and it was small and tight and like this. And so after a number of years, I finally demoed it and, and made it bigger, and we lost a, a hallway cupboard and made it, made it larger. But I had to learn how to put a, a pan in, and I'm what, what's called a YouTube expert, because I've watched YouTube, I'm an expert. And so I've, I put a, a cement pan in, I learned how to do this on YouTube and it hasn't leaked, it's worked. There we go. So I went into, I went into Home Depot after becoming an expert and watching YouTube and, and to, buy, to buy cement. And, and I'm looking at all these different kinds of cements and, uh, and there's, a, there's a salesman there that doesn't even work for Home Depot. He's making sure his product is in place and all that. And uh, he starts into a conversation with me. Why? Because he's a salesman. And so I, I learn a little bit from him and I tell him what I'm doing. He says, oh, this would be a, a good product for you. And I said, okay. It's called Quickcrete, not concrete, but Quickcrete. You ever worked with it? Okay. So you get uh, Quickcrete, but it, and the, the thing that's so special about it is that it, it, it hardens. It, it gets firm really fast. And, and you have to be really careful and you have to know what you're doing. And I was like, oh, this works perfect. I'm a YouTube expert. I'm good to go. I bought the quicker you go home. And, and there's these additives that you put in it to buy a little, little time. Because if you mix it and you're going to put it in, and I was putting it in a pan, I've got 15 minutes before it's solid and it's not going anywhere. And so I put an additive in to buy me like three or four minutes. And what this guy was kind enough to do, instead of buying a whole bunch of them, he's like, here, I'll just give you a bunch. So he gave me like 10. So I had more time to get it all right. So I got it all right and, it's, and, then, it's, and then it's solid and it's not going anywhere and it's, and it's lasted. And that was, that was a, a huge accomplishment for me. I was really glad that 
I, I got it to, to have them, but it worked. But the thing is, is if I used normal concrete, it would take a while before it was totally set and done, and I couldn't put any tile on it and do any other work until a number of days or weeks. I don't remember the timeline on it. But Quickcrete got and was firm. And so when I read this, that Jesus resolutely set out, I picture my, my shower. You don't have to. You can picture something else. But when I picture that, I go, I know exactly what Jesus, this is, this is not new for Jesus. He's not, he's not putting this into his life at this point. What he is saying is he's, that we're learning about Jesus at this point is, is that at this critical moment, at the pivot point of all the book of Luke, when we've seen that he's demonstrated his power, that we're getting ready for something next, but he is resolute and saying, I am not going to change. Nothing is going to change me. I am going in this direction. I am going to suffer. I am going to accomplish my mission. The reason is, is because we needed him to. And he says, for you, I am not going to waver from this. And as we read through the rest of the book of Luke and we come to the, to the climactic chapters at the very end when it says that Jesus was saying, God, if there's any other way, I'm resolutely going to go to the cross. But if there's another way and you want to call me to that, I am totally game for that at this point. But if there's not, I will go. And he remains firm and unchanging and solid and dependable and faithful and resolute for that because he knew who he was and what his mission was. You heard just a few moments ago as Maya and Adam were up here talking about something that we do as a church and we do it about a couple times every year and it's called Focus Living. And what Focus Living takes us through in a Friday night and Saturday experience is to say who we are and what has God called us to. And the great thing about that is it puts our story in the context of his story. That we needed Jesus to go to the cross. We needed Jesus to be resolute. We needed Jesus to go up to Jerusalem, up on a cross, and then up into heaven so that we could actually be saved and redeemed and transformed. That we are followers of Jesus. That we are Christians because Jesus resolutely went to the cross. And then we put our story in the context of that story and it reveals to us that we are on mission with him. And each of ours looks different. We're each gifted and called to something different. But we're actually stepping into his story. And we're not going to Jerusalem necessarily, but we are stepping towards heaven as we go around day after day after day. And as I say that, some of us think and realize and is revealed to us that maybe that's not the path that we're in. That maybe we have not been resolute that maybe we have stepped off at some point. And when it's come to those moments in our lives when we said, I can go my own way or I can go Jesus's way, there have been moments and more than a few in our lives that we've taken our own way instead of his way. And Jesus addresses next one of the reasons that we do that. It's in the next verse, it says this. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him to get things ready for him. Uh, Samaritan village. He was, so Jesus is traveling. Um, he's got himself uh, on, the, on the rolls, and then he's got 12, 12 friends, 12 disciples that are with him. And then there's some other, other people that are probably hanging around. There's anywhere between 13 disciples and Jesus and maybe upwards of 70. And they're going to a Samaritan village. Um, and a village is not very large. In fact, there might have only been like 100 to 150 people in this Samaritan village. And so if you've got either 13 or maybe upwards of 50, 60, 70 people coming into a Samaritan village, that's going to overrun it, right? 
Like this isn't like a Samaritan village of mansions that can just house everyone. And so what Jesus does is he sends a couple of his disciples on ahead and says, hey, will you see if you can make preparations in the Samaritan village for us that are coming in so that we don't overwhelm them and appear rude and with customs and culture and all that, that this will work really well. They'll be able to, to welcome them and we'll be able to honor them and, and all that will be able to go on. He went to, he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Jesus does the advanced thing and hey, I'm gonna be sensitive and you guys can set up shop and, and, and create some places for us to sleep, whether it's in tents or in your own home or whatever that might be. And, and we can have a good night and then we'll, we'll move on. But, but they said no. They said, because you're going to Jerusalem, we're not gonna welcome you into our village. You need to walk right on through or even better, go around. Don't even come this way. They reject him. They, they rejected Jesus, and it's a very specific reason why. Because he was on his way to Jerusalem. The history of, of why a group of people that are ethnically Sumerian, Samaritans would reject Jesus and his disciples is because they were Jewish. And so what we have is a clash of ethnicities. We often call that racism now, but it's a class, it's a clash of different ethnicities. And they rejected him because Jews typically would come through these villages on their way to Jerusalem each and every year for the festivals and for the, um, for the feasts. And they didn't like each other. And they didn't like each other because the Samaritans had, in, earlier on they had been Jews and they had intermarried with other peoples that had come in to Israel. And so they weren't the same ethnicity anymore. And so generations now we've got two different ethnicities and they're not getting along. And Jesus and his disciples are rejected. Jesus is, is rejected. And when he says, come and follow me, and he's, he's discipling his disciples in every breath that he takes, everything that he models in his life, every way that he behaves, he's rubbing off on them in some way. They're picking up cues. It's like parents picking up cues I mean, children picking up cues from your parents, and that's one of the, the heavy burdens and the challenges of a parent is you're never off, like you're, you're always on. We've, we've all, I think, had, I really hope, because I have a lot of my, my sons overhearing something that I said that I didn't want them to hear, or me behaving in a way I wish I could unwind and take off, that they glean everything, the good and the bad. And so Jesus is constantly discipling his disciples. As a parent, it's constantly, whether we like it or not, parenting our children. And the way that he responds in this moment when he's rejected, when what he wants is acceptance, and his response is so helpful for us because that's something that we experience, that we experience rejection and we just deeply, deeply want acceptance. In fact, wanting acceptance and experiencing rejection is one of the ways that we step our own way instead of God's way so often. We, we live in a world and at a time where at least here on the West Coast, in a city, in an urban center like Portland, to say, I follow the one who sacrificed himself and suffered on a cross because he loves me and he loves you. And I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. That there's not too many of our workplaces that people stand up and begin to celebrate you and say, welcome to the office. Welcome to the job site. Welcome to the classroom. 
we're glad that you're here. Can you tell us what it's like to follow Jesus? Can you tell me what Jesus teaches? Can you? That doesn't happen. And in fact, oftentimes, we experience through other people or when we walk in for the first time, we just know, I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm, I'm not going to share that. And in fact, I will come out later on to a few people once I build friendship and trust and they know me enough and they trust me enough and they know my track record enough after a few weeks or months or years that I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. We live in a time where we're often frequently rejected for following Jesus rather than accepted. And we come to that fork in the road so often is, do I continue to follow my King and my Savior who went to the cross and suffered and that pathway just seems so difficult and costly at times, or do I step my own way and avoid a lot of that? We, uh, as, as we've made significant investment in this physical structure here at Mosaic over this last year, um, one of the things that it does is it, is it reveals to us, because we have to look at, why are we doing this? Why, why are we bothering making this room a better, more effective room to gather several hundred people in and then to, to play it for other people and to record it in other places. Why would, we, why would we change our lower level so that it's upgraded and better and renovated? Why would we improve a kitchen that's like going on 300 years old and upgrade that? The reason that we do these things is because God has given us a building in one of the most post-Christian cities in our nation at one of its most disruptive times in the story of this city. And you and I get to be here in the urban core of Portland where the majority of people who live in the houses and apartments and condos and townhomes and dorm rooms right around us don't want anything to do with Jesus. And we have this message that the thing that they need most in their life is the person of Jesus. And so we get to be a church that gathers in person here in the core of this city and to declare the name of Jesus and say, Jesus is alive and he's real and he's changed me and he loves you and he can change you. And we get to be right here. And yet we might live in Gresham or Vancouver or Beaverton or Oregon City or we live all around, but God has, has given us space to be centered here in the center of the city. And so whether we drive in or we walk down the street, God has formed a community of people, and not just us, but he's formed others on other blocks and places around our city to say, this city needs Jesus. And so you're gonna be a light for me. And no matter how many people, and no matter what the rejection looks like, you're gonna continue to stand and be a light for me because it's not about you, it's about me. And I'm stronger. The one that is in you is stronger than you. That's what he says over and over and over and over again. And so, when we come at those moments where we go, I know I'm gonna face rejection. I know that there's not another person in this classroom, including the teacher, who is in support of anything that they perceive followers of Jesus to be, that I'm still gonna choose Jesus and to stand up for him. And along with all of the questions that that raises and all of the challenges that that brings, I am going to choose to follow Jesus. 
I'm not going to go and seek the acceptance of the world. I'm going to receive the rejection of the world and walk with Jesus even when it means suffering. The last thing he does this is, he says this, um, verse, verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, when they saw the rejection, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he said to his disciples and went on, I went on to another village. Um, my best friend growing up was named John. And uh, his younger brother was Jim. His real name is James. John and James were my best friends growing up. Lived eight blocks away. And uh, John was an all-star linebacker, uh, best friend. He's not following Jesus anymore, and I pray for him often. And, um, but he was the kind of guy that when I, when I went anywhere in, in Long Beach or Orange County or L.A., I wanted to go with John because you didn't mess with John. Like, John could hold his own. I'm a skinny white kid. John was like this stud, like, I mean, he had muscles that he, you know, didn't earn. He was just given at birth. He didn't even have to work out. And I would love to just follow him, and he was a little bit shorter than me, but he, he I mean, he could, like, pick me up and throw me across the room if he ever wanted to, which is another reason I wanted to be best friends with him. But I could go anywhere with him. And, and his younger brother was, was James, and he was a, a bowling ball, and like a, a little physical bowling ball. And I can say that because he's, he's married to my sister, and he's given me two nephews and a, and a niece. But um, but they were what Jesus called this James and John, sons of thunder. Jesus named them that. Like he gave them a nickname. Like I, I would, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm great to be called beloved by Jesus. There's nothing better than that. Um, but I kind of wonder what it would be like to have a nickname from Jesus. Jesus called, I mean, he, he changed uh, Simon to Peter. Uh, and then he, and the next closest two were, were James and John. And he called them sons of thunder. And, and here they go. And they go, they see Jesus rejected. And they look at these people who are different than them. And, and he, they, they look at him, they look at the people and they say, uh, and then they look at Jesus and they're like, and I, I just wonder what that looked like, like that posture looked like. Hey, uh, Jesus, you know, you want us to fire? Like you want us to do fire from heaven and take care of these guys and destroy them? Like you want us, because we, we could do that. Which if you, if you turn back a few pages, like, like the disciples had like their first experience with like effectiveness of, of spiritual power. And then they go to asking who can be the greatest and then to this. So as soon as they get a little progress forward, they like totally fall off the rails and start saying this stuff. Like Jesus is like a parent in this situation, like rolling his eyes going, <sighs> like, do you, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? We'll take care of this. So what they had just done is they had just prayed and gone out for ministry and shared and people believed and then they healed some people and cast out some demons and they're like, this is amazing. We have this, we're, we're stepping into this spiritual realm that is all around us and it's for real and Jesus has given us this power and we've got this power and we just did these things. And so the next thing on a hike, they're like, hey, we're coming up on this village and they don't like us. We'll blow them up. Amen. <laughs> missed something. I got off something somewhere. <laughs> James and John, James and John, sons of thunder, know a little bit about their history. And they've read Second Kings, I think it is. And it's, uh, I don't remember what chapter it is. The first 18 verses in the chapter. But Elijah, at the very village where they're at, in the very landscape they're at, Elijah had been there and some other rulers and king had sent some people and wanted to manipulate Elijah and use him for his spiritual influence and all that. And, and they threatened him. And so he says, Basically, I'll pray to God and he'll, he'll 
he'll send down fire and take you out. And the commander and his 50 men got torched. And then they sent another commander and 50, and those got torched. And then they sent a third and 50, and that guy got down on his knees and said, there's something different about you. Please don't kill me. Will you please come along? And Elijah went along. And James and John listened in Sunday school, apparently, and they're like, this is the place that it happened. We can do this. This can be our story. And listen to Jesus' response. Talk about a fork in the road. Do I want to go my own way or will I go resolutely to where you call me, God? Do I want to be accepted by those around me or will I face rejection even when it comes in this world? And then he says, will I act out in anger or am I going to rebuke those around me who just don't get it? You want to call down fire from heaven from people who don't get me yet? who don't know me, who are a different ethnicity, who probably are poorer than you? You want to call down fire on heaven? Absolutely not. You want to talk about a parenting moment? Jesus looks and he rebukes his disciples, his children, and says, no, you do not get it. That is not who I am. That is not what I'm about. That's not what we're going to do. That is not who we are. We are here to suffer and to sacrifice ourselves and to go to the cross so that those around us can see that we are different, that we don't wield our power to take over but we lay down our power regularly so others can see that we trust in something more than ourselves, that it is not about us. And he rebukes them lovingly, not enjoyable. It is not enjoyable for the disciples. It's okay when we rebuke our children and they don't enjoy it. That's part of being a parent. Step into that. He rebukes them and then he goes to another village. He doesn't act out in anger. He doesn't allow them to act out in anger. He says, no, we're gonna move on to the next one. We might come back to this one and they might be ready then, but we're going to move on because somebody else needs to hear from me, from Jesus. The mission that you and I are invited into every step of our life, every day of our life, we get to be a light in this world. And we need Jesus who went resolutely to the cross. We need Jesus who faced rejection because we need that strength in us. And we need at times to be corrected and rebuked to come back in line. And one of the ways that we do this as a community, that we do this as a follower of Jesus, is to come to the table regularly and repeatedly and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't think of any ways that I need to be rebuked right now, but if you need to rebuke me, rebuke me. I can't think of some ways that I've chosen the world's acceptance instead of being willing to be rejected for you. And I need your strength in my life right now to resolutely, with a firmness that's unchanging, follow you because you are the one that's faithful and unchanging. And so we regularly come to these tables and we take the juice that represents his blood shed on the cross and the, the cracker that represents a little bit of bread that represents his body broken. And so I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. And we've, if you haven't noticed, that's totally fine, but we've moved seats around in here a little bit and we've got the communion tables up in front this morning. And so I'm gonna invite you wherever you are to come to Jesus' table, to come to his meal. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we're grateful that you were willing to face rejection, that you went to the cross and you invite us to step into your ways, into your path, into your life. Because without you, there is not life. And some of us need to come this morning and we need to confess that again, that without you, there isn't life. And so we wanna cling to you and follow you and walk in your ways. Would you help us do that? As we come and as we, we taste with our bodies, the sacrifice that you and your body made. Would you fill us? Would you revive us where we need to be revived? Would you forgive us where we need to be forgiven? 
And will you give us strength tomorrow to resolutely follow you? 